felt like that was a way better intro song for this episode. Yeah, agreed. You're listening to Afternoon Snack Radio. That was Africa by Toto. I did it. When you were suggesting introing the song with that song, yeah, sorry, inter- introducing the podcast with that song, you said, I think we should introduce this podcast with Toto. And I was like, what does the Wizard of Oz have anything to do with our <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I guess. I mean, that's kind of weird. Toto didn't even have any lines. <laughs> Toto was a silent actor. No, Toto by Africa. It's like, that song transcends generations. It does. And I've heard it several times, but I never knew who sang it. Toto. But also Weezer covered it. Like, yes. pretty recently. Yes. It's a good cover, too. Yeah. Um, I did know that one. Yeah. So before we get into the episode, at which point it will become relevant while we introed with Africa by Toto, if you don't know, um, we're going to kick off our... Man, it feels weird to talk about the holidays. I can't believe I'm about to do it because it's also October and really warm right now, but... The holiday challenge is coming up. We do a holiday challenge every single year. Uh, This is the fourth year, I think. That makes sense because, yeah. Um, And it runs from American Thanksgiving, like the Black Friday, to right before the Christmas holiday. Or the holidays into the holidays. It ends on December 24th. Well, it actually ends on December 22nd, but... oh. Yeah, right before most people are off for the holiday season. So it's four weeks, and this year we are, we kind of change the format every single year. So um, this year we're going to have weekly themes and habit stacking, which we've done in the past. And uh, we're also uh, using it as a fundraising tool, not for ourselves. I don't think you can call like business and we're (laughs) fundraising for tactic. Um, no, we're not, we are, it is going to be a free challenge. It's always a free challenge, but, um, there's going to be an option to donate. We hope that you do to, uh, the looking out foundation, which is the foundation started by Brandy Carlisle. And they use that as a, like a fundraising vehicle for a number of nonprofits and charities. So, um, we don't have a nonprofit associated with us or a foundation, so we're choosing to donate to that one. Um, for every $10 that you donate, or no, every $5, every $5 you donate, you get one entry into a grand prize drawing for uh, Garmin watch. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, and then we'll do some, some like weekly giveaways and stuff as well. So be on the lookout for that. If you're, if you want to be in the know, uh, and get, uh, get a jump on it. Just make sure you're on our email list, which you can join either directly from our website or on the Instagram. We'll be sending out more information there. It's gonna be really fun. So back to the podcast. We just got back from Tanzania, which is a country in Africa. I learned yesterday, we posted a post on Instagram video where we're talking about starvation mode. Um, in that phenomenon. And I basically said, we just got back from Africa. And while we were there, we interacted or saw some of like the way that some people live there. And what I saw and this, I realize is not indicative of like Africa as a whole, but some of the places that we visited, 
food scarcity is a thing. And so like, especially driving through those really remote villages, the Maasai, I mean, the, they're just very thin people. And at one point we, thin cows too. Yeah. Thin, thin animals. Like it's just, it's a very like, uh, I wouldn't call it a particularly like abundant landscape for agriculture. We were also there in the dry season. Yeah. So that may have explained it as well, but that's what we saw. Yeah. That like was our experience there. And at one point we had stopped the car to like help another vehicle. Not, we weren't helping, but we were in the vehicle and you know, kids were running up from the village that was just down below and they were visibly very thin and they were like food, food, food. And so I just like, the food availability is what's what stuck with me during that time and it you know even being in some of the larger areas like the cities Arusha and things like that um like you can tell that some of the folks there do struggle in that way and the only reason why I mentioned it was I just found the backdrop of like you know struggle in some of those areas especially around food and the impact that that has on people physically it sort of made me think about like the way that Westerners live, the privilege that we all have with food availability. And then how in uh, an area and in a place of abundance, there are people who believe that like starvation mode is still a thing. Like you can eat too little to lose. Eating too little can halt weight loss or even cause weight gain. Like the people legitimately believe that. And so that was the backdrop for the post and, um, it's always an interesting topic to bring up cause it does, um, elicit some feelings in people. Usually we get some comments, but I guess I, I didn't realize, um, and this is my mistake that there's some sensitivity to referring to Africa as Africa instead of referring to the country that you were visiting. And so I said, we just got back from Africa. Like that's what I said in the video, instead of we just got back from Tanzania or we just got back from Tanzania and Rwanda and Uganda or wherever people visit. Um, because it perpetuates the stigma that like Africa as a whole continent is very poor and desolate. Um, which like, obviously there are like economic areas in Africa that are thriving and, um, yeah, it's it's always shocking when people like people on the internet. I don't know why I'm con- I continue to be shocked by the way that people speak on the internet, but um I think this particular post was also a little bit shocking because I went I I went out of my way to put some qualifiers both in the video and in the con- in the caption about weight loss. Basically saying like this is a post about weight loss, but it does not mean that we believe that weight loss is a good goal. Um, you know, in the, the caption, I said that again, and about how it's not everyone's choice to be in a large body, but, you know, sometimes people choose not to be. And, um, what I made a specific point of was not using the words overweight or obesity in the post, because the last time we posted about starvation mode, which was less than a year ago, and it was a written post someone, I did use those words, uh, specifically obesity and someone commented and it was a very polite comment. And it said, I invite you to consider the way that those words like might come across. And then I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was actually a pretty respectful comment. And I was like, that's like, that's a really good point. And since then, since that comment on that post, which was 
like, I don't know, nine, 10 months ago, like I, I don't use that language really anymore. I don't use, you won't really hear me say obesity. I try to use the words like large bodied. Like I, I just, I, that caused like a shift in my language and um for constructive criticism yeah for good reason Mm -hmm. and then but like the the couple of people and it wasn't we had a few people comment on the post yesterday with regards to how we used or i used the the you know the word africa referring to the continent and why and like it was respectful but a few of them like the early ones were just like it was like immediate yelling and i'm like hey why are you yelling at me like i understand that this is apparently a sensitive topic um but why are you calling me ignorant, arrogant, and a racist when you can just say like, hey, I'm guessing you don't know this because you've never been to Africa before, any of the countries there. But um, it's better if you refer to the specific country when talking about specific experiences, especially with the local people. Africa is a very culturally diverse place. When you like speak broadly like that, it can confuse people. 100% I understand that. Thank you for telling me. I mean, I use that because I had a personal post and I said today, we returned back recently from a trip to Tanzania, Africa. Yeah. And had it not been for some of the constructive criticism received on the post yesterday, I would have said Africa. Yeah. And it here, everyone says, how is Africa? Yeah. Not that many people were like, where'd you go in Africa? It's just like that. It's, I think it's. It's the way that I think a lot of the Western world does concept. It doesn't mean that it's right. It's just the way that it happened. I mean, we, how we introed with a song called Africa. Yeah. <laughs> like it's hard to know what you don't know. And I, but I, we are receptive to feedback yeah. and not and information and knowledge, but not when done in a really like aggressive fashion. Yeah. Like it's, not really okay i think to speak to people like that on the internet it's not useful like i think if if you actually if people actually cared about in like influencing change in someone in the way that they think and they conceptualize things um first off they'd probably send a dm instead of commenting publicly on a post like ultimately i think that like the internet is a big shitting like a you know dick measuring contest for a lot of people and it's just like it's people stepping on other people's heads to get the last word in. And it's like, look, like we're human beings. If you know anything about us, you know that we're not racist. We're not bigoted in any way. Um, so like it's it's when you come onto someone's page and you make a, a remark like that, it's really hard to not have like a visceral, like screw you response. Um, it, it also, at least historically, the people who do that are ones who do not follow us. Yeah. It's like they're just here to stir shit up. Yeah. And be like, well, in this case, I guess rude and um and rather than actually trying to better another person or like offer some constructive change like points for change, I guess. Yeah. Um so all that to say, moving forward. I will be referring to specific countries that I visit all over the world. Like I can take that moving forward and do it. Uh, but also don't be a dick on the internet. I like, think the most recent comment that I enjoyed was the guy who was arguing on our intermittent fasting post okay. who left by saying, 
I've intermittent, I've been intermittent fasting and doing keto for the last however long. Cause basically he commented something. Yeah. And then we said back, like can respect that that's been your, those have been your results, but the research is definitive in this area and there's no benefit to doing IF versus just a normal diet. Yeah. And so then he said, well, I have been doing it for this long and I feel great. I've been staying lean. I have tons of energy and lots of clarity. I'm not quoting this. Um, make, you know, before you post something, you should do your research. And I just thought that was hilariously ironic that this guy's using his own, only his own anecdotal evidence and telling us to do our own research. Well, no, but like, he, Oh, so are you saying, should I intermittent fast and do keto before I post about it? So that, is that what you mean by research? Cause that's what you're using to technically support that, your the points. Right, the right term then would be do your own experimentation. Yeah. That's what he means. Yeah. But also he didn't just quote that. He said, he then referenced Jason Fong's book. Mm-hmm. That was is before. Like, um, Jason Fong is not, he's like, Jason Fong has never been debunked. And I'm like, dude, Jason Fong <laughs> is in the business of being debunked. Not to mention his book is not about what people, like when people read his book, they take it out of context, number one. But also half the shit that he writes is like uh, based on, mouse data that's never been replicated in human beings so yeah um no the internet's whack but it keeps showing up every single day every single day back to africa yes so we did visit tanzania (laughs) that was the only place that we visited and we did cross the border into kenya we were in kenya for yes about a minute yeah actually not on foot we were in the land cruiser. Yeah, we didn't do much on foot, which we'll get into. Yeah. But we did like a, a tour to Tanzania, basically, via land cruiser. <laughs> and plane. And plane. Small plane. All right. So take us through, uh, take us through the, I don't know, itinerary. Okay. So we left for the airport at 1230 on, no, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> we flew there. It was eight hours to Amsterdam and then we spent the night in Amsterdam at a hotel in the airport and then had another eight hour flight and we landed in Kilimanjaro the Kilimanjaro airport yes and then we were picked up there it was evening we were taken to this house um owned by the company who was doing our kind of our tour I guess I'll say yeah all of this was arranged by my parents. They took us on the vacation. So it was arranged through a travel agency in Calgary called Uncivilized Adventures. Uncivilized? <laughs> was that a, were you being funny there? Or did you no, actually just say? No, I think I think I it was a a Freudian slip. <laughs> Cuz there were points in it did in the vacation that seemed uncivilized. Become uncivilized. Okay, it was so the tra- travel agency was called Civilized Adventures. Yes. And um they kind of put together our itinerary. This was a trip that was actually planned for 3 years ago and it ended up getting postponed due to COVID. So we were finally able to go. Thankfully, everything worked out we had to book flights like months in advance still kind of like unsure of what COVID was going to be doing. Um, but everything worked out. Like we didn't have to do any testing. We did need vaccinations to get into the country. That was the only thing. So we arrived there in the evening. We got driven to like a, a, 
a little house. We stayed there for the night and, and then kind of continued on um, to Tarangir, Tarangire National Park. Oh, you did it. I was wondering if you're going to make, if you're going to pronounce that correctly. Yeah. Good job. Um, and we spent three days there at a place called Mapingo Ridge. And our tour guide, his name was MJ, which was short for, not, that wasn't his real name. It was sh- short for something. But I can't recall what his name was. Um, but he had been a tour guide for five years at this company, had been at the company for 12 years. And we can talk a little bit about the work ethic of some of the people that we met there, but it's pretty extraordinary. And the accommodations were, most of them were just beautiful, like right on like ridge of just like safari. Yeah, you'd look out way down and you'd see like the tiniest little elephant. (laughs) And it was like they're, they're, uh, I remember at Mapingo Ridge, we looked out and it's just like expansive. Like when you think about, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. I'm so sorry. When you think about Africa, like as in the Lion King kind of scenery, it was that. It was like just expansive grassland. Mm -hmm. And at first you're like, well, why can't we see any, any animals? It's like, there's so much, where are the animals? And then you realize like, oh, they're down there. There's just, there's so many of them and they're like, it's so expansive that you can't, unless you like really stare off and look, like you can't see them. But there were like elephants, giraffes, um, lions, like yeah. they're all just sort of scattered around down there. And it was, um, it was pretty crazy. It was almost like looking at the ocean, except land. Like that's how vast yeah, it was. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Um, so on the way to the national park, we stopped for what they called an activity, but we didn't really know what that meant. This is all the way to the first place that we stayed. Yes. Yeah. So we went, we had to drive through Arusha, which is kind of um, it's, a main city. Yeah. It's sort of on the, I'm looking at a map right now so I can get the geography right, but it's kind of, Arusha is like the North East side of Tanzania. And then we had to drive Southwest, but through the main area of, in Arusha. And then you get into like more rural towns and farm farm areas yeah and that was cool i mean it's cool seeing other cities in general but i think tanzania and africa offer a really drastic change to what we are used to seeing in north america in europe which um what i think it's really cool to just to see that yeah and to see some of the like economic discrepancy and that sort of thing um not that the city wasn't vital like there was a lot of vitality but yeah, it's there was like so different like new the, construction and mm-hmm. um even like the clothing that people had it's it's clearly sent f- like front like from mm-hmm. north america like it's you just you notice a lot of these little things that i don't know i guess i never had thought of before yeah um and so we ended up doing our, our activity was to visit a village, a Maasai, Maasai village. Like a boma, like their little yeah. area. And the Maasai, their 
how many they're tr- 120 so there's in tribes. tanzania there's 127 different tribes tons of tribes the maasai is one and it's like the most probably the most famous one because they're so distinct looking and what they wear and some of their um i think they've preserved a lot of their culture quite well uh there's a lot of like singing dancing um they traditions. wear they wear um th- it's like a plaid sheet well they wear like red they've always worn it's, red yeah it's red mm-hmm. but it's like it's like plaid mm-hmm. and they tie it it kind of looks like they tie it up around the shoulder so it seemed like to me traditionally you would wear two with no clothing underneath yeah so you would wear like one over kind of draped over one side of the shoulder and then another on the other side. So it was kind of like a dress. It's like a for, to make a horrible example, like a toga. Yeah. But much like lighter and red. Yes. With also like lots of beadwork and mm-hmm. that there was a lot of beadwork, especially on the the women. They yeah. wore earrings. They had these really um cool like necklaces i guess a lot of it too you it's symbolic of like things that you've been through so um you know when you're when if you're one of your kids becomes a warrior you get you know a different necklace or different beads or Mm -hmm. something so it's all very symbolic of their life yeah so we arrived there and the head of the family chief chief greeted us and he took us around. He didn't speak English. So our MJ, our guide, had to translate. And they were extremely welcoming. I think they probably seemed like they had a partnership with the group that was running our... Like the tour group. Our tour group. And that was called... Um, Lamala. Lamala. And so we arrived there. And then there were three women kind of preparing some cornmeal... And there were like little baby goats running around. Well, yeah, so you get there and it's just the like the chief. And then all of the boys and the men are off tending cattle. And then all the women stay in camp and they do things like, yeah, prepare cornmeal, prepare meals, take care of the structures. Um, Very simple life. Yeah. And they they live in in huts that are built with like mud and dirt and cow dung yep with like hat like a thatch roof yeah and the chief was telling us the roles of the women and the roles of the men they're very much divided and the men the men do not do any of the women's roles and vice versa um the men also have multiple wives and many children. So this chief said his dad had 13 wives and 47 yeah. children. So, yeah. um, and then he has two wives and 13 children, yeah. I think were the numbers. Um, and it was cool. They did their traditional dance and we participated, which was hilarious just because the <laughs> four of us are just not. It was pretty like mortifying <laughs> to be totally honest they dressed us up like it was an interesting experience but it was definitely like uncomfortable yeah because um they're so proud and so you want to be very respectful of them bringing us in on this but i i remember thinking many times like i'd rather just be like 
enjoying this from the outside. Yeah. And so then we also had to participate in the um, cow dung smearing onto the huts. Did you just say smearing? Yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. And I was, I like can't even pick up dog poop without gagging. And you legitimately have to put your hand, your whole palm I managed to just do the fingertips. They were like See, pressing my hand down and I was yeah. like, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to puke. <laughs> but like, again, I don't want to be like, no, no, I'm not doing this. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, you kind of, I kind of participated in the smearing and then tried to pull away. And You know, it's smearing, right? Like, you know, there's not a <laughs> C in that word. It's smear. Okay. Smear <laughs> is something you put on a bagel. <laughs> so if we could not use the okay, word agreed. smear. Okay. So you had to okay. smear cow dung and mud onto the, the the hut um and then they washed they had detergent and i think they probably were provided detergent by lamala to be like or maybe they just have detergent because like they, are, they have some amenities there yeah I imagine they, they have things to wash their, their yeah. clothes and stuff i guess so these this tribe while they're they still try to keep a lot of their traditions and their way of life, they are starting to incorporate more tr- modern life amenities. Yeah. Western, like 21st century kind of influence. Yeah. I would say, and I'm sure this, this was actually a question that we were receiving a little bit while we were there. Um, we do have a lot of people who follow us in the LGBTQ plus community. And it's pretty well known that in Tanzania, at least, it is illegal to be gay. Yeah. Um, As in they will put you in jail. Yeah. So when we filled out our visas, we, were, we weren't married yet at that point because we just got married at the beginning of September, but we selected single. Because the only thing I had read to that point was like a gay couple from somewhere in Europe had shown up with... Which country in Europe? I Just don't kidding. know. Uh, <laughs> maybe Denmark. I don't I'm know. kidding. Get oh, okay. It? Of yeah. Um, but they had shown up with uh, like married visas and maybe their last name was a saint or something. And they were basically barred entry from the country and then promptly deported. But I hadn't read like, because I did know that. And so I just sort of like due diligence started reading about laws in Tanzania and read plenty about what they do with locals and then um was kind of trying to decide has that ever impacted tourists and from what i could tell other than being deported um that it isn't it wasn't unsafe which makes sense like they rely pretty heavily on on tourism and you know it's not it's not a um what i read and this was the reflection of um tanzanians uh, or at least the government is not that it's like morally, it's not like, it doesn't seem like a religious thing. Cause there's a lot of like, obviously a lot of different religions and cultures there, but what it, it was said is like, quote, like it just isn't African. And that's the, the prevailing opinion of homosexuality in Tanzania. And so that's why they, I guess, prosecute locals, but they don't really seem to bother tourists. So from a safety standpoint, I never felt unsafe. I did feel extremely awkward on a number of occasions. Yeah. So we were definitely not out while being there. I would say we like, to me, it felt like I, not like it mattered, 
but we were back in the closet. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. And it was fine. Like, but people would say like, well, what's, are you guys a family? And we'd be like, yes. And then she'd be like, they, someone would say, well, are you sisters? And we'd kind of all be like, no, we're friends. Yeah. Like that, that And happened. that was just kind of awkward. Like it was awkward for everyone. Like people were kind of like, why is your friend? Yeah. It happened the first night when we were getting, we were getting driven from the mm-hmm. airport to Arusha. And I, to be honest, like I hadn't even thought about that question happening <laughs> until it was like upon me. And then I was like, uh, like we'd just gotten married and I'm like, I'm a, I'm just a, I'm her friend. So like I'm an, an adult child there with my adult parents. With your wife. With my friend. Slash your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end, someone would ask, I'd be like, I'm just like a really, really old friend. Really good friend. Really good. The best friend that she could possibly have. Yeah. So um, like we were asked in, so we were in the hut of the Maasai chief. And he was like talking about his part of it was it was it was difficult because I don't obviously like I've not even thought for a long time about the like somebody having multiple wives. Mm -hmm. I think the most recent example of me even hearing about that and I don't want to get into like the whole religion thing, but it was a part of that show under the banner of under the banner of heaven. And that was it was just like even Mormons have really moved away from that. And again, I don't know enough about that religion specifically to really even speak to it beyond what I've seen in a TV TV show. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, there was that, there was just like the, they're so, we're so progressive in North America, especially where we live mm-hmm. with, you know, even the gender identities, being gay is, is okay to, you know, like marriage, is legal for her. and um it was just hard to kind of be experiencing like that culture that yeah well like, like we just so don't agree with anymore yeah in north america well you have to like or a lot of uh, and i say we i mean us and where we live and most of the people we hang out with it was just like the juxtaposition of it like mm-hmm. basically in the same sentence he said, oh, I have multiple wives. My dad has multiple wives. Who are you? And I had to be like, I'm her friend. <laughs> because, like, you know, it's it's accepted there that you can have multiple wives. But it's not accepted that you're gay. And so I can't share that part of. It's so also it was just not like, acceptable here to have multiple wives. Yeah. So it's just, it's where are you and what is the cultural influence there? And it is, I think there are a lot of uh, things about the Maasai, I went on a bit of a rabbit down a rabbit hole on them, but it's as far as like 21st century influence, there are, they're moving in a, there are people who are trying to influence them in a way that, that does sort of move away from certain traditions. That's one. Uh, female circumcision is another, like that's a big thing right now from a human rights standpoint, but I mean, ultimately, people who are like, did you feel safe? Like, is this a, a vacation you'd recommend to a, you know, a, a gay couple? It is. And I think you have to just decide where you draw the line. Um, from like a personal enjoyment standpoint, you're going to go there. You're going to be safe. There's not going to be any problems um, as long as you keep your relationship to yourself. And that's, by the way, expected of, of everybody. Straight P- people yeah, and PDA is not um, acceptable. So no issues there. I think it's, it's an enjoyable trip. And then, you know, where do you draw the lines from a human rights standpoint? Like, is it, um, 
is the human rights issue there as far as like LGBTQ people are prosecuted and put in jail? Is that where you want to draw the line and say like, I fundamentally disagree with this. Therefore, I'm not going to go to this country and support their tourism industry. Totally fine if that's where you draw the line. Um, for me, uh, I accepted that it's not, while a prevailing opinion, not the opinion of um, everyone in Tanzania, and there are a lot of really good people who work in the tourism industry. They're, they're just doing their best to support their family. I can support them by going. And then maybe, just maybe, like our interaction with people there, our tour guides, etc. like maybe they kind of clue in as to our relationship, even though it's never like outwardly spoken. And it just, you start to influence a change in mindset just by being a normal human being around someone who isn't exposed to people like you. Mm -hmm. And so that's like how I accepted the differences between here and there. Yeah. Agreed. Never felt unsafe. Felt a little weird sometimes. Yeah. Like we would like touch and it was kind of funny. Every time we touched Meredith would be like forbidden love. (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun, uh, that was a fun, yeah. Juxtaposition. But then, like, what was funny is we got on the flight um, to come. Was it to come back? I don't know. My days all blend together. It was to. It was the second flight out. Okay, yeah. We were still wrapping up some work stuff. So we were working, and we were seated separately. Um, and we we were in pods. Like, let's just put it out there. Um, <laughs> and so we were kind of like communicating across the aisle, and the flight attendant for KLM was like, "Oh, do you want to?" would you like to be seated together? There's a way there's like, I can facilitate that. There's an open seat. So you're like, and Meredith was like, sure. I love being next to my partner <laughs> all the time. Yeah. But Alex was, was like, Oh yeah. And then said something like, I just don't like being apart for too long. And then without even missing a beat, the KLM flight attendant was like, ah, true love. And then just like, and it, like it was the most normal thing in the world. So it was quite the, quite the night and day experience between KLM first class and a poo hut (laughs) (laughs) um i will say like we had a couple good laughs because i mean the dancing was frankly hilarious oh my god my dad i guess one of the things that they do they they try to jump the the males have this dance where they all take turns kind of jumping it's literally called the jumping dance yeah and they they jump as high as they can and our second tour guide was saying that the higher you jump, the more appealing you are to females. Because you you would be a great that. warrior. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was hilarious. Like, all these guys can jump, too. They, they were, it was they pretty were impressive. There, yeah. And um, my dad, my poor dad's, he's over there with the males. And uh, then they were like, hey, your <laughs> turn to jump. He's like, 72. And as, as, um, yeah, it just doesn't have any fast twi- twitch muscles. Not the most plyometric. <laughs> so he's jumping, and I think he, and no offense to my dad, like barely getting off the ground, but he gave it, and we were all just laughing. and Yeah. And then it was confusing for them because I don't think they were able to figure They didn't out. know how to gender <laughs> Alex. They are like, do we, do we give her a stick or do we put her necklace on her? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they figured it out. They got it right. I did. I was trying to like play along with it to like give them hints. Like I'm hanging out with my mom and Meredith, like not going in the other direction. Like work with me here. <laughs> yeah. Help me 
help you. But like they told us in our package, like you do not want to be like wearing skin showing clothing like kind of like be conservative yeah like they they never said to really bring tank tops not that a tank top would have helped me it probably would have hurt my cause is trying to yeah be recognized as a female but you know the shorts like at one point i think that day i was wearing like the zip off like kneeling pant <laughs> shorts which are just so bad like yeah. they were knee length like 11 inch inseam baggy t-shirt i was wearing a hat it's like it wasn't working no from like a femininity no. standpoint anyways that was kind of funny yeah okay so then we traveled on to Tarangiri national park yep and i think the most striking thing there was when we first drove into the park it was immediately animals everywhere yeah like zebras which are very common apparently wildebeest gazelles it's uh, funny because elephants. you think about even just a zebra let's say to me, growing up, I always thought, I guess maybe because my exposure to them had been in a zoo or photos, you never see like mass amounts of them in one place. And, you know, you hear about like game hunting and people shoot zebras and how you're not supposed to. And to me and to see so many of them. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, they're like just a bunch of zebras. Yeah. And they're kind of derpy. Yes. And because they're they're very beautiful because the, of their coat but they're also like not like a horse they're more like a donkey yeah so they're the, this like majestic donkey did you know that a zadonk is a thing no it's like a it's like a donkey zebra cross okay um but it's it's basically they have like partial stripes okay that makes sense yeah um, um anyway so the wildebeest and the donkeys are a very there's a lot of them yeah and then we saw quite a few elephants that same day we went out for a game drive and saw quite a few elephants. Like that was pretty extraordinary. And basically the days, see, Oh, cool. Zidonk. Basically the days were consisted of getting up at like five 30. We would do a 15 minute workout, like basically right out of bed, go to breakfast, get in the land cruiser, go out for like multiple hours. Some days you'd go out for like 10 hours. A short day in the Land Cruiser, if you were like, I only want to do a half day, six and a half hours. Yeah. Sometimes you would come back for lunch for one o'clock for a hot lunch and then go back out yeah. in the evening just because it got so hot in the middle of the day. Yeah. But some days you would go out for the whole day. And it was cool, like, I guess because you have to drive pretty far out. And one day in, in Tarangiri National Park, we went down to this um, water area. And it was basically like the Lion King. Like all the yeah. animals were just kind of together at the water hole. Yep. It was just beautiful. And that was the day we kind of went a little bit further and saw some lion cubs. Oh, yeah. That was lion um, cub day. And it was just like, it was cool. Like a lot, it was a lot of driving around. But I guess that's kind of what you have to do to be able to see the different animals. Yeah. It's very spread out. And you just, it, a lot of it's based on luck. Like where you are, when, yeah. what you can see. Like, you really have to be kind of paying attention. We got really lucky really early on. Like, saw a leopard on the first day. Saw it again on the second day. Saw a bunch of lions. Um, just all of the stuff that you go out to there to see. Which yeah. kind of made... It was funny because, like, you just... You get to the point at the end of the trip where there's, like, a lion. And you're like, ah, you don't need to stop. <laughs> like, you've yeah. seen that many lions. Yeah. It's... You see a lot of, like, elephants and giraffes. So, zebras and wildebeest are, and gazelles are probably the most popular. 
And then you see like water, buffalo, elephants, and giraffes quite frequently. Yep. Um, and then the more rare w- ones are the big cats. Um, not a ton of hyenas. Nope. Then there were some other... There's like a bunch the, of warthogs. The dog, the... The wild African the, dog? No, there was the... the Oh, the jackal. The jackal. Yeah. Little things like like little animals like that that you don't see. And then like we saw a ton of birds. Cool, really cool birds. Yeah, our first guide was like definitely a bird guy, mm-hmm. which was awesome. It was super fun because um, I got... I had like a long lens and so I got to take some really cool bird photos, which I didn't realize were so cool until I looked at them. Mm-hmm. And I... Like now I guess I'm kind of a bird person myself, but yeah. And then after the Nash, the first national park, we went to Gorongoro. Oh God. In Gorongoro. In Gorongoro. In Gorongoro. In Gorongoro. Okay. You can't do it. <laughs> but essentially it's like a, it's where a volcano erupted and it created this caldera, which is just a intact crater. It's the largest one in the world that's intact. And so all of these bunch of animals that are in it, they live their whole lives in that crater. They don't go out. So we spent a day. The crater is 27 kilometers long and 21 kilometers wide. Which sounds big, but it's not. No, it's It's not. pretty small. And that was where we saw some hippos, flamingos. We saw a rhino really far off. Yep. Um, And then we had lunch in that that area. And it was cool. There was some um storks yeah kind of hanging around um elephants and giraffes kind of nearby and that was quite cool yeah basically having lunch with us yeah and then we drove from there to central serengeti which was uh what three and a half to four hours oh gosh, yeah and i think there when i looked at the map because there was like a big map in the ngoro ngoro center and i was like oh that's gonna be a dirt road and it was. It was. It was brutal. And it was like bumpy. So you're going like. And so dusty. Yeah. Probably 80 to 100 kilometers an hour <laughs> on a du- like dusty and bumpy road. Okay. To describe this. Like it was. I'm not like. I had to remind myself several times. Like you're great. You have to be grateful to be in Africa. Be grateful to be in Africa. Like, you know, like this is an opportunity that most people don't get. Like you're, you know experience because it was pretty brutal yeah you know that sore that you get on your ass after you do a bunch <laughs> of ab mat sit-ups i had that from the car ride like we were kind of laughing about it because it was just like what kind of vacation is this yeah like not what we signed up for and it's like the most normal thing in the world to the guide yeah, at one point my mom's like so just asking is this all dirt he was like yep and we were like, oh, great. <laughs> like to describe what it was like. It was so when Meredith arrived and this happened multiple times in the trip. You know, when you're so dry, you get like that white, like when you're like dehydrated, super you get the- dehydrated, you get like white around your lips. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like dried saliva. Uh-huh. Meredith had that, but it was black. <laughs> It was cute. It was like a prince mustache, like a <laughs> all the way around. And then I broke it. I broke out into. I prince, was like, I was like, song. we. I wanted to get there, and then dinner was always served at like seven or seven thirty at these places. So I'd be like, can we just have dinner when we get there, and then like go into bed? And my dad was just. He wasn't in a good mood either, and he was just like, I'm gonna need to wash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but we finally arrived. That was, oh. yeah. And that was the beginning of the, so we arrived after, uh, what, four, four hours. And that was the start of the tent, <laughs> the tent camping for us. So imagine being in a four hour, you're like, you're like looking forward to getting to a lodge. You spend four hours in a car and instead you show up at, to a tent. Yeah. <sighs> and the lights. So the tent did have electricity. It was like a pretty luxurious. Tent, it was, it lie. was like, a, basically it was a hotel room, but it was a tent. Yeah. Not, but like it was still a tent. It was just like hotel room size. Yeah. And, and the lights weren't working when we got there. Yeah. And so we had thankfully brought like he headlamps and then the showers were bucket showers. So you had to ask for them to put water in before you showered they needed five minutes which sounds fine and then you realize what that actually means is someone's gonna stand outside of your shower while yeah you take and a there's shower. a little like mesh so i walk in the shower and i'm like naked thankfully like there weren't really any lights on but we did have a flashlight like shining into the shower so i could see what we were doing and i like kind of look over to the side and i just see like a set of eyes <laughs> and i was like okay then <laughs> um but he like needed to know everything was good to go yeah and then I had to rush through the shower because I didn't want to use like, I didn't want to have to ask for more water. Yeah. It just makes you feel like kind of a. Yeah. Um, and then the dinners were communal, which was tough as an introvert. I found it's tough. Like just because it's, there's no moment in the day to recharge mm -hmm. and just like be away from people, which is really, um, if you're an introvert, you know, that feeling where you just like, I just need to be by myself and stare at a wall for like, 30 minutes you never get that and then i also found you basically have the same conversation over and over again which is like what did you see oh that's awesome this is what what we saw what camp did you come from where are you from like it's just the like the small talk conversation over and over again not to say like you can't meet some amazing people because we did have some good conversation but it's like the buy-in to having those conversations like you almost want to be like what's the most interesting thing about you yeah like you just want to what skip do you do all the for crap. a living yeah yeah. Have you ever experienced any trauma in your life? What was that? <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't like the getting to the meat of the conversation. So, but the central Serengeti was really cool from a wildlife standpoint because it's known for big cats. So that's where we saw the highest concentration of lions. We saw a bunch of cheetahs. Um, so had a really neat leopard sighting that was like very close, which was pretty rare and unusual. Um, so many big cats that I was like, I think I'm done with big cats, but um yeah so three days there um and then we went from central to northern serengeti which is the area that's known for river crossings yeah so there's another camp yeah okay so <laughs> we showed up to I it think was a 45 sorry 25 minute flight yeah we did get and to fly we had this the, time. the it was a small plane at seated 12 but i was like on there I'm like, how do you get 12 people in this it was four rows of three. We would later one. learn how you get yes. 12 people on these planes. I remember thinking like, how the hell do they, do they actually get 12 people on this plane? Like there's no way. There's no like a chance. Cause there were four of us and it was like, seemed toit. Yeah. It was a 25 minute flight. Super fun. Landed, headed off to another tent camp. Yeah. Um, which was exactly like the other tent camp. Except there were the people there, the people at the first tent, camp were really quiet and considerate yeah. like they were everyone in the communal area was like whisper 
and everyone was just super like kind of kind and nice and like aware that it was shared space yeah and then we get to this new camp and I don't want to stereotype but there were probably like six to eight Americans 50 percent Americans and not to I'm gonna say this as someone who's from this area so I feel like I can stereotype more than you can I'm allowed but I mean, there's, it didn't matter if, if where they were from or the stereotypes. Like they were loud. They were Americans. They were from the South, like they South were Carolina. They really loud and they just were nonstop talking and drinking. They weren't like belligerent by any means, but they would just hang out in the common area and basically like yelled. There was a couple of like Texas Longhorns yeah. fans and there was a football game on at some point. And so that was like dominating their yelling. Yeah. And you know how when some people talk, like they talk out of a volume where they, you know, they want other people to hear them, even though they're not saying anything of relevance. That was like all of them. Yeah. And then you would get the comments, like we'd be on our computers and then, you know, people walk by, it's like, Oh look, everyone's on their computers. How cute. And it's just like, shut up. Yeah. Mind your own business. Yeah. And so that was not ideal. But then we ended up moving to a hotel after that in, in the Northern Serengeti. And the hotel was like so nice. Yes. But it was wild. Like that hotel from a wildlife standpoint there was there were animals like everywhere oh yeah the hotel you had to be escorted at all times of day because there were zebras coming through not that zebras are particularly like belligerent but then there were water buffalo and water buffalo are kind of belligerent and there's um like all of the the rooms are, are very well spaced out and they have these light posts and on top of the light post there are, are just loose, like there's a, a rock, like a baseball sized rock sitting on a bunch of them. And someone asked like, well, what's the rock for? And the, the guy walking, he was like water buffalo. So I guess they like, they just like pitch rocks at these water buffalo to get them to like piss off if they're too close to the, uh, too close to the pathway. But they were like lions. Like you definitely felt the wildlife. And you could hear them at one point in the first tent camp, we heard like a scream. It was weird. It was like a scream. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? And apparently, and then you would hear like car engines revving and they were scaring off a group of elephants. And that's the sound that elephants make when they're mad. It's like the trumpeting sound. Yeah. Yeah. It was so high pitch. Yeah. And so they, I guess the elephants come over to the camp to drink water out of the, like the water supply for the tents, which like pretty smart. But yeah, they get really uh, aggravated when you, and they, well, how do you get rid of an elephant? You have to run them off with a vehicle because yeah. they're huge. At one point, the second time it happened, we were on the other side of the camp and you could see through some of the tents and you see that some of the elephants <laughs> running like to the right, like away from camp. And then you're watching and you just see like the elephants running the <laughs> other way, <laughs> just like going right back towards the camp. Like, I feel like you don't have enough cars to really like handle Heard. this. I was like, you guys got to get some border collies out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A bunch of them. That was pretty. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Um, and so in the Northern Serengeti, the reason we went up there and this, I didn't know this, but apparently um, we wanted to spend some time up there for the great migration to see that, which what you see are just like, thousands and thousands and thousands of wildebeest and zebras would any say there was over a million 1.5 million wildebeest migrates migrate yeah and you i'm pretty sure like when you just look at them in a like expansive grasslands you're like 
this is an incomprehensible number of these animals. Like I, I don't even know how to properly describe it other than like, if you've ever seen a lot of ants in one area, it was like that, but wildebeest. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. And then you'd see, um, we saw some big cats there and then the zebras were kind of like mixed in, I guess 500,000 zebras migrate and then 1.5 million wildebeest migrate. Yeah. And so the big thing there was seeing a river crossing. So the Mara river is the river that they have to get across to get from Northern Serengeti down to the Southern part of the Serengeti where they breed. And so that involves, it's quite dramatic because it's uh, the wildebeest apparently spend like they can spend days just going back and forth on the shoreline, deciding what part of the river they want to cross. And so, so they'll stare at it. And if there's like, if they see a hippo or they see crocodiles or they see bubbles, they don't like, they don't cross. And so it, it, a lot of people there watching can spend days following the wildebeest up and down the shoreline, waiting to see where they're going to cross. And you have to be careful. You can't get too close to yeah. the river because that will spook them away. That will impact their decision. So like in, in true form, based on the luck that we had been having, we show up there. We weren't even going to do the half day safari when we got there, but he was like, no, let's do it. Like we're, we have the drive through anyway. So we'll just, you know, we'll just do it. And at this point we're like, Ugh. and the flies are really bad in the Northern Serengeti. So we were just kind of like, okay, let's get this over with. So we just, we basically pull up, like he, he does a few spots on the river and he's like, we're going to head over here. And like legitimately within the first 30 minutes, there was a river crossing was outrageously lucky and so and a, a lot of them like a big group it was like a thousand at least he yeah. said so basically what happens is like all of these these land cruisers are pulled way back and you can see the will like the wildebeest sort of eyeing the shoreline and basically as soon as you see them start crossing like as soon as one or like a few cross they all go at that point then you can get close because if you're too close when they're trying to decide like you start you influence their decision and you can't do that So basically like (laughs) as soon as they started crossing, it was like a drag race to get to the shoreline. So like eight land cruisers just like punch it. And um, (laughs) so that was exhilarating. And then our guy knew exactly where to go. It was, uh, he was like, I know like it seemed like they were way upstream and he was like, don't worry. Like the the current will bring them right here. And it did like he knew exactly where to be. But that one was crazy because there was a big cliff. So the only way really to get to the shoreline was to jump probably, I don't know, 20, 25 feet off of a cliff. It's no, it wasn't that long. It was, I think a 10 foot drop. You I think would so? Say. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was higher than 10, but whatever. Significant for Some a wildebeest. Some of the wildebeest were choosing the higher drop off. Yeah. I, to yes. be dramatic, it seemed, but yeah, they're like, this one's for your photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, that one was pretty undramatic from like a crocodile. If, if you haven't seen a picture in a wildebeest, I encourage you to look one up because they're very top heavy. They're this like, they're basically like, they have these like donkey sized bodies, but their legs are sticks. Yeah. It's like, it's like someone stuck toothpicks on like a marshmallow. It's a, that's what their body looks you like. You know that Jim bro who he does all of her body and never does legs. Yeah. That's a wildebeest. <laughs> um, so if they don't, they sometimes when they come off the cliff wrong, like they're just a little too top heavy. And so they literally like flip. Yeah. Um, but they're actually beautiful animals though. Like I, we spent a lot of time looking at wildebeest and I'm like, wow, these are like kind of incredible looking creatures. Uh, so that one, 
that one was pretty undramatic from like an actual river events like there weren't any crocodiles only saw one drown i think i think the most exciting was watching because it's like a mad rush to get into the river once they start going they are going yeah full speed and so that was uh that was cool and then we saw another river crossing on so the, the day after that was a lot of driving around and not seeing a whole lot which was fine and then the day after that was our last safari day and we saw another river crossing. And this one was cool because um, on the first one he was saying a lot of the times zebras will also cross with the wildebeest, but they never go first because I guess zebras are chicken shits and they don't want to like be the ones to make, they want to make sure it's safe before they go. So they let the wildebeest go and their eyes oh, good. So they go like middle or back of the pack. And so there was uh, a big group of wildebeest and a smaller group of zebras like from the start, it seemed like the zebras were pretty motivated to get across. Like they were the ones that were kind of like leading the shoreline inspection. And then sure enough, the zebras led the way. Zebras lead the way on this one. Um, and what was funny is the zebras are so like graceful in the water by comparison. Like they're just kind of like, you know, walking, trotting, being calm. And the wildebeest, it's like as soon as they hit the water, they're just like, ah, and it's like, you know, you can just walk, right? You don't need to do all that. No? Okay. But that was... um, That one was really exciting because there were crocodiles. Yeah. And you kind of saw And it was them. like, someone was like, there's a croc coming. And it and everyone was like, where, where, where? And then you just see this croc coming from upstream. Yeah. And it's just kind of like maneuvering its way. And then you saw two crocs coming from downstream. Yeah. And... That was just like, cause you're rooting for the wildebeests. Of course. And, and then the crocs, they are quick. Yes. They nabbed a couple really fast and it was quick. It was like, they open their mouth, the cr it's like instant and they're done and they swim off with it. Yeah. So we saw w two that two killing two. Yeah. Two murders, two murders, <laughs> um, of two wildebeests and then one miss. The miss was really exciting. It though. was like the, the croc was coming with its mouth open and then as soon as it snapped down, the wildebeest had just made it. So it's like, I, th I feel like its tail might've gotten crunched a little. Yeah. And then it, but I was, I was stoked. Yeah. And then th he was like, I'll just, I'll just meet up with my friends and I'll share, share it with their killings. <laughs> Sharing is caring. But that was really, really exciting. And it was funny too, because there wasn't really a cliff on that part of the river. So the wildebeest would get to the edge and instead of just like going into the water, they would like leap. Yeah. Like they're in a diving competition. <laughs> it's like, bro, just walk in the water. <laughs> yeah. That was really entertaining. Yeah. Um, so that was our last safari day. And then the next day we flew back to Arusha and this was the day we learned how they fit 12 people mm -hmm. on that tiny plane because they did fit 12 people on that tiny plane. It was like something, it was like a, a bad joke. So we, we get on the plane. I think our expectations we're a little skewed. Yeah, we, we figured we would have another private jet. Yeah, which was, I was like, all right, that's cool. So we get there and we're one of the first people on and a few other people get on, but it definitely wasn't full. And he basically said, okay, so we're going to fly, we're going to fly 10 minutes to this place and then 10 minutes to this place and then 35 minutes to this place and then 10 minutes to this place and then 35 minutes to this. I was like, did he just say <laughs> six stops? six stops and yep that was accurate so i guess i'm like assuming they just sort of use these planes to get people around as needed so it was like we would did the first stop 
and then more people got on and then the second stop and then more people got on and one group got off and it was just it's it was basically like a subway but in the air and, and these landing pads were sketchy at oh, least just from my opinion dirt strips yeah um i mean I, not actually sketchy no but they looked sketchy having only been on commercial airlines yeah it's just like a, a middle of the nowhere airstrip that is dirt gosh that was brutal it was so tight and like i think all four of us got pretty like nauseous i started feeling like claustrophobic which isn't a feeling i get very often but i was thinking i started panicking because i'm like what if i do actually have a panic attack what yeah. does that look like and then that thought made me panic. I know. I was having a few moments where like, I, I wasn't having a panic attack, uh, but I couldn't take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I think I actually am having a little bit of a panic attack, but it's low grade. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that had extended beyond what it was. There probably would have been a more legitimate one. And then very, very nauseous at the end of it. Just like very nauseous. Yeah. Because it was, it was a pretty small plane and it was pretty windy that day. Um, but we got there. We were actually, we thought we had one more stop and then we land in this like Dolly airstrip and then everybody's just sitting on the plane and we're like checking our watch, like, all right. And, uh, so the pilot gets the manifest out and is basically calls all of our names. And he's like, this is your stop. And we were like, no, we were supposed to be in Arusha. And he was like, um, this is your stop. And then we were like, no, it's, he's like, you want to go to Arusha? <laughs> <laughs> and so then our like the the tour tour guide company like one of their drivers was there so he walked up and we were like oh, okay and i think we were all expecting like an hour drive to the place and he was like oh it's only seven minutes away and he showed up in a legitimate luxury suv i was like oh oh i know it felt amazing to be back in a regular car yeah with suspension and and then air we, we were staying like on a go little golf course and so the next day we actually were able to like venture out farther than 50 meters from where we were staying and on the golf course i was just running along the fairways and there was like a bunch of monkeys and stuff yeah and that was really fun yep um and then we took a late night flight out of kilimanjaro and flew home um what was are you going to get into the next part um no i was just going to say overall the best parts and some of the yeah i was gonna ask what your favorite if you had to say like this is my favorite part what do, what would it be um well since you said it i think like flying in the pods was amazing okay yeah that was really that really does take the edge it off it of was the, pretty incredible yeah and, like we're not people who sit and watch like i don't remember the last time we even watched a movie at home like we watched 30 minutes of tv before bed sometimes yeah. But we just don't really sit around and watch things. So it was like eight hours of TV. Yeah. Which was a huge treat. Yes. And just like kind of just getting served. Yeah. Um, but I think from like the safari standpoint, seeing the big cats in person yeah. was incredible. I mean, the, the elephants, the giraffes, just the general, uh, like seeing all of those animals together in their own environment, like not in a zoo yep. was amazing. Like when you're sitting there and you're that close to them, it's pretty surreal. It's surreal. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I think like there, there were those moments where you're just like, wow, wow. Yeah. 
um, the warthogs where we never the talked boombas. about those, but yeah. they were hilarious. Well, cause like everything moves at kind of the same speed on like on safari, which is kind of a slow walk. And then there's the Pumbas who are just like, they're always kind of like frantic. Yeah. With tails up. Yeah. They were Especially great. Pumbas that had babies. Yeah. What was your favorite part? Um, the river crossing, I think just cause like, it's something that I've seen on, I saw a kid who was obsessed with National Geographic. Um, it's I've seen it so many times that to like to see it with my own eyes was like I can't believe this really happens. And this is what it looks like. And the crocodiles are here and death is happening and it is exactly the way it looks on TV except pulled back and like like the things that you don't get on TV are like hearing the water like hearing the animals make noise like like being just totally immersed in like the stress of that experience i mean I, there's no way to even describe it i can't yeah describe it, it is it is hard i mean it's funny because i'm that person like i don't take videos at concerts and i don't particularly like being on my phone all the time because i really like to enjoy the moments with my own eyes and like experience them but there were a lot of times where, and you had like a really nice camera with a really nice lens and we're taking amazing photos. And I'm grateful for that because I can look back on all the animals that we saw. But I was, I f was finding myself taking videos of it because it was so unbelievable. And I couldn't even like comprehend while it was happening. Ivy stuck. That I needed to take a video. I know. So I was like videoing, but also trying to watch with my own uh -huh. eyes. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> I don't know. It was really cool. And like even watching like later that night, I'm like, can't believe we saw this. Look at this video. I know. Yeah, I know. And so, yeah, there were some really just quite remarkable things about that, that trip and that experience. Um, but it, it was hard. Like the travel was hard. It wasn't a vacation. It was a trip. No. Yeah. It, and no. while we got like time away from, from work and from working out and the routine of life, it was pretty dang exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I've, like, been kind of sick since, ever since we got back. The um the food situation for me, like, while the food there was pretty good, like, fairly plain, and they definitely um, cater to, I don't want to say, like, North American, but just, like, general basic kind of... It's, like, basic French-American kind of, like, but also very low-fat for most of yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's because they just don't have fatty yeah livestock yeah but they would feed you because we, we would leave early pretty much every day so we get up early and have coffee and then we'd probably eat around like 6 30 or 7 but you wouldn't eat lunch until one yeah so that was like six hours yeah and i don't like eating a big breakfast super early but i had to to make it to one and even then i was so hungry by one that i just like had no energy i could barely keep my eyes open yeah like it, there were some days where i couldn't even see straight I just get really affected by hunger. <laughs> and so that was a big change for me from my usual eating habits, yeah. eating patterns. So I was like stashing away food from breakfast, like stealing extra pieces of bread and things like that to make it through the morning. And then lunch would be at one and then you wouldn't eat dinner till like seven. Yeah. And also I would get a stomach ache every day. I don't know if it was because of the food or the size of the meals I was having to eat. Or the fact that we were bouncing in a car for eight hours. I think it was like, like every day I was like, yeah. oh, I have another stomach. Ache. I know. I also think just like traveling that far and with that drastic of a time change, like nine hours, 
you're just your whole circadian rhythm is going to be so messed up yeah it kind of made me realize how important routine and schedule is and the value of having something like that at home yeah like how good I feel at home compared to being off my routine and like even from like a digestion yeah energy sleep that sort of thing yep um and then like the food I mean it's amazing to me how much better I feel when I have like a like sustained energy throughout the day I mean, some people do well with three meals, but for me, that's just not. And that just goes to show how personal it is. Yeah. I mean, my mom was, seemed fine with her three meals. M- my dad um, and I were struggling. Yeah. You seemed pretty much okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, don't skip meals, people. <laughs> it's not good. No, it really yeah. impacts you. So, um, but, and then the one other thing that I thought was really interesting was how eager the people there that we we had in our camps were to serve and like offer a really high level of service yeah almost like too much like yeah. they really they really work hard our first guide mj he said he started like bottom of the barrel at lamala he was like a porter a, yeah yeah and then you graduate to like a server where you you have to know some English and then you continue to practice your English and then you become like, like a manager or assistant manager or a guide and you have to do all these extra training, but it's just the work ethic there from the people that we were around was unbelievable. Yeah. I was thinking if you could transplant people like this who are just trying to create opportunities for themselves into America, what that would be like, they would be employee of the month every month compared to what you get here. Not saying people don't work hard here, but it's just completely different. Yeah, I think there's an, an understanding here, uh, especially if you come from any amount of privilege, that if you fail, there will be something else. Yeah, like there you'll will fail be a on, on your feet, yeah. Versus like, if you fail there, there's no guarantees that there's going to be something waiting but for you. But so. oftentimes it seemed that there weren't even opportunities that you could fail at. Yeah. Like you had to make, you had to push so hard to get an opportunity. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, I think too, especially we went to another village and we were talking to some people there and especially as a, a woman or female, like your opportunities are even less still there. Yeah. And so there's, there's quite a few, you can tell like Lamala has, um, they have this organization where they're trying to help, you know, et- create educational opportunities for women. Um, and then just even like opportunities for these families to make more money with building like lunch boxes out of banana leaves and that sort of thing. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot more like, I think opportunities now than probably before, but it's still like, it requires a lot of work. Yeah a lot a lot of work yep and yeah so I just I really thought that that was cool to see just the work ethic and yeah absolutely um and then my favorite part and then we'll talk about a couple other things was in the airport coming home so in the Calgary airport we had been traveling coming home it was 11 hour flight five hour layover 
in Amsterdam. It was over 24 hours. And then another eight hours flight. And so we arrive and we're like pretty disheveled, disheveled, not as disheveled as we would have been had we not been in the pods. But Meredith, her hair had grown quite a bit because she didn't really have it cut um, recently. And so she, it was long enough to be like put in like a ponytail bun. But like, you know, when men are just have their hair long enough that they can put it into a bun. So it's like this tiny bun, like a man bun. That's what she had. And so then she was also wearing like big, a baggy t-shirt and these like baggy joggers. And like Meredith has pretty broad shoulders like me. Anyways, you can tell the story. Yeah. I wasn't looking fresh and I had my hair pulled back cause I had been like asleep <laughs> and it just, it was not doing well down. So I just, whatever, I'll pull it back cause it was bothering me. And, um, go to the washroom in baggage in Calgary. And there's like a bathroom attendant there. Uh, this man with like a bathroom attendant cart, like, I don't know, cleaning cart thing. And I go to walk in the women's room, like the women's bathroom. And he was like, no, and he pointed, uh, <laughs> a little further down. I thought he meant like he was cleaning the bathroom <laughs> so it couldn't be used, which is fine. Like that situation has happened before. I was like, oh, that's kind of a rude way to say that though. And so I like start to look and there's like a men's and like a family washroom you know, like one of the, like, whatever. And so I look back and, uh, I was like the family washroom. And he said, no. And he pointed to the men's <laughs> and I was like, I'm a girl. And then he was like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And I was just like, <laughs> dude, like, I think if you're not like, number one, it's not your job to police the bathroom. Number two, if you're not sure, although maybe he was sure and that's the Seems problem. Sure. <laughs> I but didn't see this. She just came back. She goes, and this was after two weeks of me. I probably was misgendered every single day. Yeah. At least once a day. Yeah. I was like scared to go into the bathroom because I'm like, I'm going to get yelled at. I know. <laughs> but I was like, really? It just felt like aggressive. I was like, if there's even a shred of doubt, just like, don't say anything. I don't like, and so what, what if I was a young man and I walked (laughs) into the women's room where there are stalls? Yeah. What am I going to see? It's better than a woman walking into the men's room and seeing a bunch of dicks and a urinal. I thought you see them, but like there's more to see in the men's room. You might see a tip and no one wants to see a tip. Nobody wants that. So really he should be guarding the men's bathroom. Yeah. Not potentially sending a woman in there. I know. Someone should tell him. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to go talk to the manager. Yeah. But anyways, it was nice that I wasn't the only one. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's a big deal, but it's kind of just like, ugh, you know, annoying. It made me, um, it, it, I think more so with the hat and like, if I'm wearing sporting equipment, like a helmet, but it made me really appreciate when we were in Denver at the concert, they had bathrooms that were just, they just had stall like stalls in them. Yeah. And like stalls, not like regular stalls, like stalls that went to the ground. So that Yeah, it was were, like regardless of what gender you were, you just go in there and you just you don't have to deal with the fact that like also then you're deal you're not in this like long women's lineup. It's mixed between men and women. So I think overall the line just generally moves faster. Probably you w- average two lines, but also like in that experience I had to like stand with this super annoying man yeah this old like old man making old man comments oh i like your overalls oh okay 
just about every everything he could come like come up with the comment yeah. on just well, you're gonna up. get that in every lineup shut up <laughs> <laughs> you know why yeah. can't we stand quietly in a line like i don't give a shit if you like my overalls i like your mittens like what do you want me to say yeah. okay cool thank you yeah they're women's but i guess you could buy some if you wanted to anyways um yeah overall good trip yeah i think the last thing to touch on is just like the mindset something that we struggled with i think was for me uh specifically the change in routine regarding working out oh yeah with uh like not basically being told like this is not a this is not you will have no opportunity to be active it is a sedentary vacation that was told to us and so um as somebody who works out and it generally is just like an active person. Like I'm like, kind of like I need to, to be a, a mouse on a wheel and that's my outlet. That's what makes me feel better. It was definitely nerve wracking going into it without working out. But at the same time I had been preparing for that for three years. Had I had to go on this vacation three years ago and I'll admit like there was a, a time in my life and it, I think it started after my sister died where I, I used working out as like a way to kind of manage my emotions and anxiety and still do to some degree, but it was like a compulsion and I, I couldn't t- even take a day off. Yeah. Um, and I, I think for me, I've worked really hard and it's just naturally happened with having more things outside of working out in my life that I have, I value quite, quite a lot. So for example, my relationship with you, mm-hmm. um, traveling, having experiences my job is a big one and so that has kind of pulled me away from relying so much on activity and also feeling like I have to do it every day to feel fulfilled and so um I was pretty proud of the fact that I was able to enjoy the vacation with minimal exercise like 15 minutes a day yeah and not be anxious about that about you know and then I'm going to say this, like getting fat or like gaining weight, like that was a, a or worrying I'm going to lose my fitness or worrying I'm going to lose muscle mass. Like that's not going to happen in two weeks. No. Um, but that was a legitimate concern of mine, like a lot, like five years ago. It was like, oh, I can't take a day off, you know, because I won't be moving towards my goals. It could have a negative impact on my body composition when in fact that's just not the case. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. But I don't know. It was a big mindset. It was a, a noticeable a moment where I've noticed my mindset change. Yeah. And that was that fitness adds to my life. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel healthy. Um, I like the way that I look. I like what my body can do. It doesn't take away. Like I'm not, not going to go on that trip because I need to do fitness. Yeah. And that would, I think to me in my mind and everyone's different. If I had stayed home because I, I couldn't take not working out for two weeks, that would have taken away from my life. It would have, it would have prevented me from an oppor- having an opportunity and in, and enjoying an opportunity. Yeah, but I also think it's important to respect and like respect who you used to be and where you were. Yes. and also like I think if if three years ago you said, um, I don't want to go on this trip because a I don't want to, and b I am aware enough to know that I it. I won't enjoy it and my lack of enjoyment will take away from like it is a trip of a lifetime and 
Um, it's just like, it's not for me right now. And so I think that there are people out there who would make that decision, right? That like today would say like, I don't want to go on a two week vacation where I can't do training and do my regular programming. And that's also fine, but mm-hmm. it's also like, it, it just sort of like there are seasons to life. And I think it's important to like respect the season that you're in, whether it's, you know, that you are prioritizing high level training or, you know, your life is slowed slow down and you can take opportunities like this and just because your life has slowed down and you can take opportunities doesn't mean that you won't have moments during the opportunity where you snap back to that previous version of yourself and you have little like dark moments and you have little struggles and just because you have those struggles like you know it it doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't you know I don't know what I'm trying to say with that it's just like it's normal to have seasons. It's also normal to, to have moments that aren't so good. Yeah, for sure. But and again, it's all personal. So, but I'm happy for myself that I was able to enjoy a trip like that when in the past, I don't think I would have been able to. And I think looking back, I don't necessarily have regrets, but there are moments where I've traveled and I haven't been able to enjoy the trip because yeah. I've been so consumed with, you know, getting the food that I, I want to eat or that it's easily able to track or having to go, you know, like there were vacations in Maui where I would leave the beach at three and take the car and go work out again. Yeah. And then like go pick my parents up at the beach instead of just enjoying the sunset. Yeah. And again, there's seasons in life. And in that moment, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But um, I think I was just, I was glad that I was able to go on something where I didn't even have an option to work out and was okay with it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, yeah. And it's also, I think, important to point out, and I definitely felt this, like it's amazing what 15 to like 30 minutes of movement can do for you like mentally. As a person who does still, like just because you're in a place where you can enjoy a vacation doesn't mean you don't still also value health and daily, like the daily practice of moving your body. Um but I think people fall into this trap of thinking like, well, if exercise can't be exactly what it's supposed to be or what I want it to be, then what's like, what's the point? Why would I do 15 minutes of movement? That's not going to make a difference. Well, it does make a difference. Um, number one, it, it helps you retain that habit. Not like it's going anywhere after however many years, but it can really like help with your mindset. Like imagine you had legitimately not done any exercise for two weeks. Do you think you'd be sitting here and saying like, yeah, that was that was very enjoyable. Like, I think that it, it just helps. It like validates, like I'm the type of person who exercises, exercise makes me feel good. Even if I can't exercise for 90 minutes a day. It's kind of like if someone said you can't brush your teeth for two weeks, that's the, it's to me, that's a similar feeling. Yeah. So I, I just brush my teeth every day. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel fresh. It, I, I just, I'm going to do it. Even though two weeks without brushing my teeth won't have a negative impact, I don't think. Maybe it will. <laughs> I'm sure a little bit. But just like not working out for a whole two weeks. Yeah. It can still have a negative impact. What if you didn't shave your legs for like two weeks? Exactly. It's like not a big deal. But at the same time, like that's what I do. I like shaving my yeah. legs. <laughs> so I did. <sighs> I, we, we set some time aside each day or almost every day and, and did 15 minutes. And so did my parents. And it was just kind of what we did. Yeah. And it felt really good to do it. Um, but I think, I think I honestly struggled with missing work than I did more than missing my workouts. Yeah. Yeah. Like I we, we haven't taken uh, a non-working vacation 
for since the beginning of our business started. Four so years. four years, Over almost four to years. the day. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, um, especially after how busy it was the summer, I think we were, we've just been pushing so hard. It was nice to get a break, but it was really scary to take one. And we had to delegate a lot of tasks to our other coaches, which I think was good for everybody to do. Cause otherwise I just don't think it would have been done. Um, and then not having contact with our clients for that long was scary. Yeah. Because you know, you're offering a service and you, I genuinely care about all of my clients success. And if I'm able to help them with their success by checking in, I want to be able to do that and not being able to do that was difficult for me. Yeah. You're definitely, uh, you get into the habit of, of talking with people Mm -hmm. and, and I think we both enjoy immensely what we do for work. And so it's, it's not like, I don't feel like, oh, I need a break from work. Like it's definitely, I guess, nice to have a mental break, but at the same time, like when you really enjoy what you do and you set your life up in a way to be very enjoyable, it's like, uh, don't, I don't necessarily need a break from it. I think like a week would have been good. Yeah. After a week, I started thinking like, I really want to get back to work. I want to get back on the grid. I want to start reaching out to people. I want to see, I had some people running the Chicago marathon Yeah. and I found myself just being like, okay, I'm just going to check in with them to see how they're doing to make sure they feel good. Um, because I just, I was missing it. I was, and I really was just excited to get back at it. Yeah. Um, but we also, we were telling our clients in preparation of us leaving as, as scary as this was for us and as stressful as it was to kind of get prepped and ready to go and put the business in this, in a place that could operate without us for a period of time. Um, you know, we do, I do preach to my clients almost on a daily basis, like self care and time away. And I think it's important to kind of practice what you preach in that way as well. Yeah. And all of our clients were very respectful of us taking time and our coaches were very respectful and supportive of that. So I just, I think we're grateful for that as well, but, um, it was a great experience in all ways. Yeah. Minus my, like, I am, I am sick. And Meredith had to kill some camel crickets. Oh, God. Which I I didn't even look at them because I was, I, Meredith was like, there's another one. And I would just run out. I don't really care. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a, like, I don't have an issue with bugs usually. Killing them. Spiders don't really bother me. North Carolina has a shit ton of bugs. So I'm just, like, very used to dealing with bugs. But there's like there's a specific variety of cricket called a camel cricket and they're horrific. Like if you have if you don't know what they are, just Google what they are. They're her- they're terrible. And I had an incident with one as a kid where it like got stuck on my neck and it like ever since then I just like I can't I just don't do camel crickets. And so um the <laughs> apparently <laughs> that's like the native the national cricket of Africa. Is it? Of Tanzania. No, or not just in no, your just experience. Like very common. Also, there. flies are popular there. Yeah. It's funny because we were so scared of mosquito bites, and I didn't see one mosquito. There weren't mosquitoes. Um, but I think that was seasonal. But so we did take malaria pills, which, fun fact, make your dreams really weird and lucid and scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there were camel crickets everywhere, and eventually, like, the, the, the tent camp situation got so out of hand with the camel crickets. Like, I was getting ready, we were getting for, ready for bed, and there was, like, one on the wall, so I'm like, I just like get the one on the wall like 
And then I have to go in, get some toilet paper to get it. I was hiding under the covers. <laughs> and then I go to get the one that I just killed that was on the wall. And there's one that there was like a giant camel cricket standing between me and the one I had just killed, which a gross. Cause I, it must've been there and I just didn't see it when I like walked over it. And then like B, I also have to now kill this thing. That's like the size of a mouse. And I, I don't have mental breakdowns often, but I had a mental breakdown in that moment. Like my brain <laughs> broke. She was a shell of a human in that moment. You were just like staring, but not at anything. You yeah. were, you were gone. <laughs> I was like, I was crying like on the inside, like that, you know, that you've just been hit in the nose feeling before you start crying. Like I had that and internally was weeping. And then I think at one point I was like, you were, you were having, and I was trying to help, but I have like bugophobia. Like I'm not exaggerating. I can't even look at them, especially when they're that big or supposedly that big. And so I, my dad was like, what's going on in there? Cause Meredith was swearing a lot and I was basically crying. And the, so my dad comes over and he comes in with the killer bug spray and the swatter. <laughs> and cause I was like, do you want to, do you want me to get my dad in here? Cause he's, usually the one that takes care of bugs in my mom and my dad's relationship. And Meredith was like, no, he won't be able to kill them. They're too fast. <laughs> they are Which though. Apparently they do jump. Yes. So anyways, I'm like, get in here. We need your help. So he comes in, in his underwear. <laughs> I had already killed the big one though. And then I had killed the big no, one. No, you hadn't. Yes, I had. You killed the one on the, no. oh yeah. You, yeah. And then it was all done and over. And I was like, fuck, fine. And I went to go get toilet paper to get the two. Now there's two. And there was two in the bathroom. And that's when, like, that's when your dad came over. Because I had had enough. Yeah. At that point. I was like, I was already done. And then I was like, well done. So picture this. Meredith is standing there, like, as cold as a stone, as solid as a stone, blanks, like, just anger. But, like, not expressive. Yeah, which is what and I And then do. my dad's in the bathroom, like, running around trying to kill bugs in his underwear. And my mom is hiding under the covers. <laughs> no, she wasn't. She was, like, in in the other tent, but, like, peering through yeah. the tent through the zipper. Because she didn't want to see the killings either. Yeah. I think that's a moment maybe I can laugh about in 10 years. Yeah. Not yet. No. But, yep, that was... Uh, there was also, they also had outdoor showers at some of the places Oh yeah. and we were in the outdoor shower. I wasn't in the shower. I was inside, but there was a window and Meredith was in the outdoor shower <laughs> and like a safari truck came, like went by with people in it. Full of tourists, like right by our outdoor shower that I was in. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's cool. That's private. Yeah. It was a good time. There were some good moments that in the moment were not so good but in time just let them be okay let them marinate <laughs> they'll mature hopefully nicely yeah but anyways so stoked to be home very very happy to be home um we have our cat we have our puppy we're in the mountains it's great yeah so um yeah thanks for if you made it this far coconut thank you for listening you can catch us on the next one we'll be back on topic or i don't know are we ever on topic I feel like this is just whatever we want it to be if you do have specific things that you would like us to talk about please share because episode 81 we're getting we're getting like 
we're losing ideas here, people. Are we? I feel like we can just go back and start redoing <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. Through the lens of older and wiser. Yeah. But if uh, you want us to talk about anything new, please. Like, yeah. Actually send us a DM. Do it. Um, yeah. Thanks. Remember, if you want to get in on our holiday challenge to hop on our email list right away and keep your eyes on social media for that. Thank you for listening. As always, Meredith, Alex, Ivy, and Rue out. <laughs>